Well, it's my uh, privilege this morning to introduce Dave Buring. Dave is uh, director of Lion Share Leadership Group, and uh, if you've seen uh, Discipleship uh, Journey and also uh, the Jesus Blueprint, uh, many of you have been part of that. Dave is the author of those. Uh, Dave runs in a lot of different circles, equipping disciple makers, equipping churches, people in all 12 domains. He coaches people in business. Uh, he has things going on all over. And on top of that, he's on staff with a church of about 5,000 people. So uh, he works with men's ministry there doing discipleship in um, Tennessee. And uh, Dave also serves on the uh, messenger executive board. Uh, so we see each other several times a year. And he's been a part of my life, a very significant part, uh, unofficially coached me in many ways and has been a blessing to our leadership team. But um, we're so glad Dave is here. I think he's got a word for us. So let's welcome him. Be good? You're going to be better by the time we're done. <laughs> better equipped, I hope. Uh, as I said, it's always fun for me to be with you. Cheryl sends her love. She uh, didn't make it up here to D4 because she was... Um, at a gallery event where she, she's an artist who paints with coffee. She's known as the Kona Coffee Artist. And um, she was uh, at an event at a gallery she's at in Hawaii, so she couldn't be with us, but she told me to make sure to greet you uh, this time. So um, feel greeted, all right? So I, I want to share something with you today that um, has, has been born out of, um, I don't know if sadness is the right word to say, but uh, at least frustration of seeing not only in my own life, I have to begin in my own journey, but in the lives of friends, seeing them, maybe for lack of a better way of saying it, being dragged under the bus by the enemy for quite a while until they realized what was going on. Have you ever had that experience? You know, sometimes life just happens, right? And God redeems that situation, all that, but there's sometimes that it really is the enemy of our soul, because his mission statement is what? Steal, kill, destroy. I mean, it's like that. It's like he's not going to kind of be gentle with you. You know, I've had a really bad day. Could you just, yeah, I'll, I'll just be sensitive to you. It doesn't work that way. He piles on, all right? And um, so let, let me put this next slide up. I've called this learning to war, but I also could call it this playing fast. So I had the privilege in, uh, from 2000 to 2004 for five years to coach high school football. My son Ryan is, today Ryan's 31 and he's still six foot four. He's a big guy. And um, I football is, you know, the game born from heaven. And so, um, I'm just teasing. Uh, but for me, it's a, fun, it's a fun game because I like the competition, I like the camaraderie, I like the strategy, the teamwork. There's just a lot of things about it for me that speaks to me. I'm an old quarterback, so I like the thinking part of it. And and so I had the privilege of coaching it and a high school team. I was the assistant head coach. And because the other guy was an old quarterback who was the head coach, I got defense. And uh, so I learned how to be a good defensive coach. And uh, the Titans, the Tennessee Titans, used to open up a high school coaching academy. So we, several of us went through that so we could continue to learn. And so we had fun with it. And one of the things on defense that's really, really important is this term, playing fast. And what playing fast means is that you're not thinking about it, you're just responding. So for example, we teach the guys how to tackle correctly, and there's a method called hit, wrap, and drive. And so what that would mean is you'd place your helmet, so I'd line the guys up kind of by height, you know, in practice, facing each other, about this far apart, you know. And when I'd say hit, they would take their face mask and they would put it right, right at the numbers. And then they would wrap, 
like this and, and link arms, and then they would use their back leg and drive. All right, so hit, wrap, drive again. You know, and after like six weeks of this at practice, it's like coach. You know, and it's like no, I, I want you guys to understand. The more that I help you do this, and the more we practice that in practice, when you're in a game, the last thing I want you doing is thinking hit, wrap, drive. Right? I just want you to explode and do it correctly and keep. If you keep your head up. It's a big deal today because of concussions. The, the line we used to use, if you can't see it, don't hit it. In other words, you've got to hit what you see, which means if, you, it, you know, if your head's like this, you can not only get a concussion, but you can hurt your back, your spine. And so heads up, that always made me feel like they were safe. And there was this process, and we, be, we became the best tackling team in the league. And after a couple of years, we won the championship, and our defense was a big part of that. And they learned how to play fast because they weren't thinking, they were re reacting and responding. You think of this uh, for those of you that are guitar players. Like if, you know, the, the team was up here playing worship this morning and they were leading us in song, but you watched them going like this. You'd be going, this, we're going to not have a good worship day today. They were playing fast this morning. They didn't even have to look at their fingers. They just knew where they were. Why? Because they learned to play fast. They weren't thinking about it. They were just executing. Are you tracking with me? Well, one of the things that I was learning um, uh, during this time is, and, and this concept came, I thought, okay, why have we not learned how to play fast in warfare? And begin to learn to recognize and respond, because that's coaching football. It was with the linebackers. It was like when there's, there's a, a position on offense called a guard, and when the guard, some, when they want to run this way to get an extra blocker, the guard is called pulling. And they, what they do, so if I'm the guard, they pull this way as soon as the ball is snapped, and they go around the tackle, and they are like this. So the running back, when he gets the ball, he's got a guy in front of him to clear the side. Well, the role of the, my defensive guy is when he sees that guard pull, he had to learn to play fast. And so he had to learn to read what was going on. And so he'd be like this, he'd be reading. And when he sees that guy pull, he doesn't go like this and go around. He fills that hole. And he goes rushing. And that's why sometimes you see a great tackle in the, in the backfield. Because the linebacker, he's like this, he's reading the play. And we'd say, always read the guard on your side. What's, and when that guy pulled, he would sprint because it's a big hole. And he'd tackle the guy in the backfield. But he had to read and respond. And that's what I want to challenge us to do today on this warfare front is to learn to read and respond. Because most of the time we get dragged under the bus, sucked under the merry-go-round, and it's not until weeks go by and we go like, what the heck? I'm like, what's going on? And is everything that's a problem the devil? No. Don't, don't misread me. But there are times it is. Because he wants to take you out. When I'm discipling leaders, and you'll see this comment will come to this day, but I just want to say it now so you can think about it. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? You have to be able to answer that question. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? Maybe some of it has to do with what we just saw up here on the computer, and you need to be here because you need to kind of man up on that thing and make sure you're in a good place. But see, what if you were the devil... And you know your life. How would you take you out? Single ladies, is it a guy? All it has to be is a fine image of God walking by who loves Jesus. And the next thing you know, you can't, you can't see Jesus anymore because you just see fine image of God. You know, is that, is that it? Is, it? is it fear? You know, and all of a sudden it's just like whenever fear comes knocking on your door, you cave every time. 
Is it rejection? So, someone just, you know, they, they may have been busy and just kind of walking by and they kind of did this number, but they were so focused on what they were doing. But you immediately take it on. Oh, man. That's, and see, what the enemy does is like he, he has a, a saddle. I don't know if you've seen a saddle stand, but a saddle stand here where he's got the saddle on the top of it. And whenever you go walking by and feel rejection, he takes that saddle off that stand and puts it on you and rides you into the ground. And that's his strategy. He just, so he'll let some of the events of life happen and then he'll capitalize on it and drive you into the ground. And, it, and if you and I are not aware of how he does this, we're in trouble. And we are being dragged under the bus. And if you're a, a junior high or a teenager today, I want to encourage you, you need to hear this because if you can start practicing this now, when you get to be my age at 56, you're going to be so much farther ahead of me. And all of us desire that for you, that you'd be way ahead of us. All right, look at what the scripture says. Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. <laughs> to that end. That was awesome. Did you do that, girly man? All right. To that end, keep alert. See, that's what they were doing, just trying to see if we were alert. All right. Keep alert, which literally means be watchful, be attentive, and be ready. But look, so look what it says, and keep alert with all perseverance. So I want to ask you a question. So this is a command that, you know, Paul's basically telling the Ephesians, hey, just want to kind of give you something here. Is this you? Like when you get up in the morning, do you recognize as part of your process, I'm at war today. Like I, I, wish, I wish I just had the ability to kind of go like this, and for one minute I could go like this and we'd be back here, but for that one minute you could see what it's like for our our servicemen and women who wake up in Iraq every morning. Because can I tell you, trust me, they realize we're at war. There's an awareness. It's not, you know, it's not for us that I'm saying you got to wake up every morning in a panic. You know, Joe, Janice, we're at war! It's not that. It's just an awareness. It's just an awareness. It's an awareness that it's, it's, it's here, all right? And there's an awareness that if it needs to be brought here, it can be brought here quickly. But see, many of us have never been discipled that way to think that way. Is it paranoid? No. It's just like our friend Steve Fry. I remember Steve shared years ago, um, we were both youth pastors, something that was very helpful. And he said, think of your, your battle against the enemy like this. It's you and Jesus. Just think of walking in a beautiful path in the woods and you're strolling, you're talking, you're having a great time. And then all of a sudden Jesus just stops and says, hey, Dave. And, he, and somehow he pulls out this rake. He says, I want you to take this rake. And over there, you see that snake? Would you just go take care of that for me? And you walk over there and just, whoa, whoa, all right? And then you, you come back and give him the rake. It's like, okay, let's keep walking. That's a healthy picture of warfare. Okay, it's not, it's not, the Bible says nowhere. Keep your eyes on the devil. You keep your eyes on Jesus. But you listen to Jesus when he says, I need you to go take care of this. That's a, that's a biblically balanced way to deal with warfare. Okay, sometimes some of you are going, I love this message because I keep my eyes on the devil. Well, we need to change that, all right? You want to be aware. And so I'm aware when I go into situations and circumstances, okay, where might the enemy try to strike? That's an awareness. That's not paranoid or focused. It's an awareness. And I want to raise that awareness today. Look at what Peter says. Be sober-minded. I love this. It means calm and collected in spirit. Sober-minded. Just, hey, be at peace. Think of how quickly you react. Oh my gosh! You know, it's like, okay, be, be calm and collected in spirit. 
Be watchful. There it is again. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Okay? So he, it, it tells us that the enemy does a bit of prowling. Have you ever watched <clears throat> outside or window our dogs just go and spaz, you know, barking when it happens? But I know she's barking at a cat, so I kind of pull her away and I look. And sometimes, you, have you ever watched outside when the cat's doing this number? And the cat's ready to pounce, and you see the shoulders kind of doing this, and gets ready, and then, boom! Prowling. See, the enemy's prowling, seeking what he can destroy in your life. He's looking to devour you. He's looking to devour the opportunity for the will of God of you growing in your life. He's looking to devour you from that opportunity of obedience. And it's something you and I just have to be aware of. Again, be watchful, be alert, be ready. Not be paranoid or keeping your eyes on the devil, but being aware, watchful, and ready. You with me? All right, let's look at this next one. And again, you, you know a lot of this, all right? But I just want to, in light of what we're talking about today, to highlight this for us again. Some of Satan's names and titles. Look at, look at what they mean in light of relationship to us as followers of Jesus. Satan means adversary. He, he's against you, okay? It, a devil means accuser. I know none of you ever wrestle with the enemy accusing you, but just pretend how bad that would be if, if it happened, all right? But that's part of, I mean, that's literally part of his job. All right, Billy Graham had a reputation for, uh, his family always said, we could never find a place where dad would speak bad of anybody. And they said, and someone said to Franklin Graham one time, well, what about, what about the devil? And he said, well, dad would always say, you know, he does his job really well. <laughs> And part of the job he does well is accusing us. You're a loser. You'll never do it. They're a blessing. You're not. You can never do things. That's, that's accusations. And can I just tell you, some of you today, it's not just been dragged under the bus for weeks or months. It's years. It's your whole life. And you have been believing a lie that, no, I can't do that. And we, and we don't look at the scriptures as our plumb line. The character of God is our reference point. Instead, we've believed a lie. And so today, just guess what? You don't have to leave here in that same place today. All right? Uh, enemy, obviously, it means he's opposing us. The God of this world who blinds. Like part of the strategy of the enemy is to blind you so you can't see. Joe and I had the privilege of being in a situation yesterday where we didn't have anything to do with this. But we got to watch a young man who, after 10 months, was wrestling with something, and his parents had been praying, and he had revelation, which means kind of the curtains are pulled back so you can see it. And in a moment's time, he acted, and it took great courage for him to do this. And of course, there was a reaction in the situation, but we watched him. His eyes opened, and it changed, and we happened just to be around the situation, so, so saw it. Was like, it was a reminder to me of this again. He was blind. I was just talking to his parents about it a couple nights before, and they're saying, oh, we've been praying for Tim as he can't see. And yesterday morning, he saw. He acted in courage. And, of course, there was a reaction that comes. All right? Blindness. The prince of the power of the air. All right? Again, the enemy just trying to you know, take advantage and, and exercise his power. I like this next one too, the roaring lion, intimidation. Do you understand the enemy is a bully? He, he just does, come on. That's the enemy. And one of the things I've had to learn over the years, it's great to have my friends pray for me. It kind of like opens heaven to be able to let me battle. But the enemy doesn't stop until you say no. 
It's the way it is. Cheryl, my, my wife doesn't like um, doing public speaking stuff, but she was asked at our church with some of the ladies to share, and she had prepared well and felt like she was to do it, but uh, about 2.30 in the morning, this is maybe a year and a half ago now, she woke me up, and she was terrorized. Like, I mean, literally, like, honey, I can't do this tomorrow. And so, you know, I just took, and she kind of rolled over, and I just held her for a, a couple of minutes, and we, you know, just, just prayed for her. I said, now you know what to do. And she said, yeah, I know I need to do this. I need to take authority over the enemy. So we just kind of leaned up in bed, and she took authority in the name of Jesus. And it broke. She had a great sleep. She did great. But see, the enemy, he's, come on. Come on, what are you going to say about it? Come on, what are you going to do about it? Until you say, no more. You have the authority. So here's the thing you have to understand. If stuff's going goofy in your life, you're allowing the enemy to do it. You, it's, like, it's like you're out there in the forest and there's, there's bears and moose and all kinds, of, and they're coming after you. And you're, low, I mean, you got pistols and shotguns and machine guns, and you're just going, no, no. It's, it, that's what the picture is. And it's like, I mean, you are like Rambo on steroids. You got all this stuff, and all you need to do is go, you know, you can use the Clint Eastwood line, go ahead, make my day, you know? And you, you, you deal with it. But, but that's what it's like. And many of us are, we're so loaded up, armor, like crazy, and, you know, stuff in our tool belt and holsters, we're re- but, but we're being attacked. And you never stop to realize, I can stand. Remember Ephesians says, stand. And after doing all to stand, stand. And some of us haven't realized, I got to get used to this little, uh, how, oh my gosh, that's pretty awesome. See, and that's something we have to be aware of because the enemy will continue to intimidate you because that's his character. He'll just bully you and push you until you say no more. And the thing we have to remember, and we don't have time to get into it today, I'm sure Joe has shared this with you, but in Isaiah 14, it tells us that when we actually see the enemy one day, we're going to say, He's the one that made the nations tremble? Him? What? No, you got him? It's kind of like, you know, the, the scene they show on a cartoon where you have, the, you, you see this, you don't know it's a white wall until they back off, but, this, but it's a white wall and you see this lion just roaring and, and then you pull the screen back and it's a little dog that has a lion's head on. You know, it's just a dog this big, but, but it's magnified on the wall. And that's, see, that's the enemy. He makes himself huge. So huge that you have, and again, you have to be honest with yourself on this, you have come to actually believe that it's God versus the devil size-wise. And we forget the enemy is smaller than the, the smallest period in your Bible. And if you add the whole universe as God's size, it's still not a big enough comparison because God is God and the enemy is a created fallen being. But I just, I want to challenge you because you are being bullied. Can I say this to you, mom and dad? Your kids are being bullied. It's time you and I climb the hill as men and women of God and we look down at the target and we pull back that bow and we fire on our kids' behalf. And kids, you need to be doing that in your prayer closets for your mom and dad. Because sometimes you don't know what mom and dad are carrying until you get to be an adult, and then you go, oh my gosh, mom and dad, I had no idea. And you need to be climbing the hill and saying, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I can tell dad's wrestling with stuff at work, and he's not really wanting to, in Jesus' name, and fire that arrow. It goes both ways. It goes for your church. It goes for the Acts Network. It goes for what God's doing in Akron, this city, our nation. 
The serpent, sneaky, poisonous. You know, the devil doesn't often announce what he's doing, but he does often overplay his hand. That's one of the ways I've learned to watch the enemy because he, 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 he doesn't, remember, he doesn't fear the Lord, so he doesn't have wisdom. So he overplays his hand. And if you just watch, you go, oh, pfft. Hello, you know that that we know what the enemy. It, just watch, and you go, what? It's like, and you see, God's revealing to you, and the enemy's overplaying his hand, and what is meant to be sneaky all of a sudden's revealed, and we just need to be aware. Are you with me so far? So you guys know this. Jesus, here's some things Jesus called him. Jesus called him a liar. Jesus called him a murderer. So we see again heart intent here. A thief who steal, kills, and destroys, and a tempter. We've all had to wrestle with these things. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you five things that they all start with D so you can remember that what I did is I, I kind of looked at in the Bible, what are the ways that the enemy attacks? And I tried to lump them into five things so you can play fast. So you can kind of get, so they're kind of like this. They're here, right here. This is in the morning when you get up and there's this face mask right here. And it just, it just rides with you. But when you need to, it's right there. And you can look at the world and you can say, okay, which of these things, what's going on? And then when it's done, you press the button. Kind of Star Wars-ish, all right? And so, so I, I, wanna, I wanna start with this first one. The first one is distort. Say distort with me. Distort. One of the ways that the enemy deals with stuff is he distorts the character and image of God. He tries to disfigure what God's really like in our hearts and minds. If you've got your Bible, turn with me there to, to uh, Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. And I, I want to just show you something here. Genesis chapter 3. This is actually kind of the first encounter we have here of the enemy in the scriptures. Here in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty, verse 1, than any other beast of the field. Notice the word crafty. Any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? And we, we know how the story goes. And I just want to stop there. Did God really say? Did he actually say this? See, in other words, the enemy will try and distort the things God says to us. He'll try to distort God's character. Like some of you, you wrestle in your relationship with God because I want you to hear this. The image of God, remember an image is like on Facebook, we post images. It's not the real thing. It's an image of it, okay? And what the enemy tries to do is he disfigures the image of God in our hearts and minds. So I want you to hear this. The image of God that you carry around and your heart and mind affects the way you live your daily life. So I, I wish I had the superpower to just go like this, and all above your head I could see right now the image of God that you're carrying. Because see, God is absolutely incredible. He is beautiful. He's amazing. He's the most intriguing, satisfying, fulfilling person to be with in the universe. But if all of that is blinded and distorted, see what the enemy does is a life circumstance happens, and then he holds up one of those mirrors that you see at some carnival. You know where you're standing in front of the mirror and all of a sudden your legs look like giraffe legs? You know, or your whole body's wide and your head's about this big. You know what I'm talking about? Those goofy mirror, mirrors. And that's what the enemy does. So when something happens, he runs up and goes like this. See, this is what God's like. He's not kind. He's not loving. He let that person die. Do you understand how unjust that is? That's the God. And he starts distorting and you know what? You and I, oh, the hook is set, and we believe him. And we begin to build our whole lives on a wrong understanding of God. And you start wondering, why do I not know God's love? 
Why do I not know his nearness? Why do I not when someone talks to me about God as a father? I had one time, uh, I'm not going to get into this whole story, but just this piece of it, I had a, a situation where we needed to pray for a girl to get free because she was raised in a home where her mother and father were satanic priests. And she came to me after I spoke on God's heart as a father, and she said, I don't, I don't understand that. And so when I asked her to tell me her story, and she told me what I just told you, I said, yeah, I, I get why you don't understand it. And God began to do a work of real changing and transformation, freedom in her life. See, this, this is why you guys, like, like look at the counterpunch here. Know and declare the character of God from the scriptures and real life experience. In other words, like God was with me in this. God, thank you that you were my shepherd. Thank you that in this situation we didn't have the money. You are my provider. You just provided. Thank you. And one of the ways that I've done this to help me, this is just this guy's little journey. If you were to come and, and look at my Bible, I don't know how much you'll be able to see, but I've highlighted in purple every name, title, and attributes of, God, of God's character in my Bible. So when I open my Bible to help me with this, it screams the character of God. And it is, it is an amazing thing to go through your Bible and to mark this to see how, look at, like, look at all the purple. It's all over everywhere. And God is revealing, wants to reveal his character to us so we see what he's, what he's really like, not what the enemy, how the enemy is portraying him. And so I want to ask you, is this, is this a stuck place in your life? Because the enemy will try to distort. This is why when your pastors and leaders say, you've got to be in the word, it's not so that you prove your Christian merit. Check, read Matthew 1. It's not that. All right, and sometimes we've gotten, and, and again, let that be a wake-up call to because sometimes you've gotten the habit, okay, it's my religious duty to read. Instead of realizing that, I have an opportunity today to let God reshape, because I don't know about you, but it's not fun when someone misrepresents me. You know, it's not fun, I mean, my last name is Buring, and so it's not fun when someone introduces you to speak and say, hey, our speaker today, we're excited to have him here. We invite Dave Boring to come up and speak. Wow, wow, that's really powerful, you know? What is that? You know, or when you know you've said something and someone takes and twists it. I had a guy write a whole blog because he took in, uh, about me negatively because he took something I said, didn't know my heart, didn't know who I was, and he completely twisted it. I felt totally misrepresented. We've all had those experiences. I want you to imagine how misrepresented our Father in Heaven feels by his kids. You know, one of the most hellish moments of my life, thank the Lord, it has never happened, and I don't think it ever will, but it would be a hellish moment for me is if my kids ever looked at me and said, Dad, I've never known your love. What? what? Because the way I, I've tried to lay down my life and affection and coming along, I mean, my kids have always told me, thank you for showing us unconditional, but I, I can imagine what that would feel like if my kids or my grandson said, I never, you, you never took the time to love me. What? Imagine how our Father in Heaven feels. I just, I just want you to catch how, as his followers, we've distorted God. And can I just, secret of my heart, I think it's one of the reasons the world doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus is they look at us and they don't see him. Moses said, the distinguishing mark of us as your people is your presence is with us. And if we don't live in such a way where his presence is being revealed in and through us, why would people want to follow him? But so, so let's get to the point. 
The point is, we've allowed the enemy to help distort the image of God. And it's time for you and I to do this. Lord, I repent. I repent for not seeing you for who you really are and receive his forgiveness and then begin to say, God, would you reveal yourself to me in the scriptures? And start looking for his names, his titles, his attributes. If you have a discipleship journey manual, in the back of the book is 52 of them. You can take one a week for an entire year and renew your mind based on scripture about what God says about himself. So this is a strategy of the enemy because he knows if he can distort God, your whole life is screwed up. Okay, and, and by the way, one of the things about the enemy, he doesn't really care about you, and you're really not that important to him, but why you're important is you're a chess piece, because what he's really after is disfiguring God. And so you're just kind of a, a, he's a user, and he just uses you to get at his end. So he, we're not even really that big of a deal to him. He just uses us to get after God's heart. But if this is you today, I want to just tell you something. You don't have to stay here. You don't have to stay here. It's your choice. Remember, it's like the guy with the weapon in the, in the woods. <gasps> you don't have to stay there. Just pull the thing out. Go ahead, make my day. And deal with the thing. Start getting in the Word and say, God, reveal your character to me. Show me who you are. And begin to eat that stuff. If you do that for the next year, I promise you, if I see you the next year at this time, you would say, I have grown. Because you're not letting the enemy say, see, that's the way God of you who responds say, that is not who my God is. And you begin to declare from the scriptures, this is who he is. This is what he is. And sometimes, you guys, for me, I, I have a little kind of warrior posture in my own little private spot in my study at home that when I'm frustrated and I don't understand stuff, uh, the thing that I will just blurt out is, bless, and sometimes it comes out like this, blessed be the name of the Lord, because I don't want to say it, I don't feel like saying it, but it's the right thing to say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because I know he's true, he's right, he's just, he's kind in all his ways and doings. And though this little brain does not understand it, it doesn't change who he is. Let's look at the second one. So the first one is what? The second is distract. If the enemy, he'll try to distort God's character, but then he'll also try to distract us. He'll distract us. A loss of focus, diversion, commotion. As you see here, squirrels. Remember that from the Up movie? Squirrels. And some of us are so easily distracted. For me, I'm a fairly simple guy in my thinking on this stuff. It's like there's a, there's a few core things in my life that I know I can't be distracted from. One is, and I kind of use Psalm 27 for, one thing I desire of the Lord. And that is what I'll seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do what? Two things, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I, I do not want to be distracted from that. Secondly, Proverbs 4.23 tells me, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. I'm not going to let my heart get distracted with bitterness, anger, resentment, etc. But So I've got to guard my heart. Above all else, guard your heart. A third one for me is I want to walk in obedience to Jesus. He says in John 15, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's not a prove it, it's just an overflow of love. A fourth one for me, I love Romans 12. It says I'm supposed to walk in humility. I'm supposed to walk in honor. I'm supposed to walk um, at peace with everyone. So for me, I want to walk well in my relationships. I want to be a healthy relator to people. That's a non-negotiable to me. If I never preach a good sermon again in my life, I want to be a good relator. And the fifth one is, I love John 17, 4, where Jesus says, I have glorified you by finishing what you've given me to do. 
I want to glorify Jesus by finishing what he's asked me to do. And see, the enemy wants to distract me from every one of those things, from guarding my heart, from loving Jesus, from obeying Jesus, from walking well in my relationships, and from glorifying God by obeying what he's asked me to do, my mission in life. Distract. How does he distract you? Here's one of the things, um, confusion, and I call it a spiritual swirl. One of the things I've, I've had to learn by making mistakes over the years is when, when I feel something is in a spiritual swirl, it's kind of like a tornado, and everything's being thrown around, and, and the mark of spiritual swirl is confusion. And I walk into a situation, and I'm clear as a bell about what's supposed to happen, and I go in and I leave the meeting more confused than when I went in, that's a spiritual swirl. And one of the things the enemy uses is these spiritual swirls, and we can get into calling it all different kinds of things, but a spiritual swirl is this general term just to say, I, I can no longer be focused. And some of you, even today as you came in, you are in a spiritual swirl. It's not as clear as it used. It's like, what the heck? And it's just... And we have to realize the enemy will do things to try to get us caught up in other things. How many of you, don't answer me, I just want you to think about this in your heart, you know God has asked you to do X, and you're way back over here at, you know, at F over here, and you're going like, how did I get, you got probably caught in a spiritual swirl. And, and you got this tornado, <laughs> pick you up from where God wanted you to be, what you're doing, and <laughs> landed you over here, and you don't even know how you got here. So what do you do in the midst of that? Oh, whatever. That's what we often do. Well, okay, let's say it is what it is. No, not always. And sometimes we need to recognize there's the enemy's hand in this, and that's where you don't let him go, come on, yeah, what are you going to do about it? So I plopped you up, come on, what are you going to do about it, big boy? And that's where we need to be able to say, okay, Jesus. And so I usually always begin with repentance and forgiveness. Where do I need to own where I've missed it here? And where do I need to forgive others? And then once you do those things, the enemy has nothing in you. Not, or nothing on you, I should say. Get after him. But some of us stay there. The, you know, Mary and Martha, you know that story. It's, you know, Martha really didn't do anything bad and wrong. Jesus just highlighted at that moment where Mary was. You know, Martha, Martha, you're, you're so distracted. Just come. I, I, I think if we could have read the whole thing, it's probably, I'm not going to be with you very much longer. I just would enjoy your company. I want you to learn the things I want to share. I know you want to feed me and all that, and that's awesome, but just sit down. Can I tell you that one of the greatest distractions in our life is something called ministry? I'll go as far as ministry can become an idol. Your job can become an idol. What is an idol? Anything you put before Jesus. It's not a hard definition. What do you have before Jesus? Your car? Your bank account? The Browns? No, probably not that one. <laughs> Calves. Calves could be. All right. But like, what do you, what do you have... What do you have before Jesus? Like, like, guys, you have to remember, if you were the devil, how would you take you out? He knows what those little pieces are. Remember, the devil doesn't know your thoughts, but he's been around humankind a long time, so he knows habit patterns. Is there anything you've placed before Jesus today? Can I, can I touch a real close one? Your family. I mean, I love my family. Next to Jesus, I love my family. But I'm watching in our culture, because of needs of 
situations in people's own lives where families have become idols. It's remarkable to me, like how many soccer teams does one boy need to be on? Should we just close in prayer now? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not kidding. It's like, it's like how many soccer teams does, you are running around mom and dad like a chicken with your heads cut off and the spiritual growth is going down the tube. I mean, it's great. Have your kid be on the greatest soccer team they could ever be on so they become excellent and can get that cause scholarship and play. That's awesome. But three soccer teams at the same time? I'm just saying. Idolatry. Did you ask Jesus how many soccer teams your kids are supposed to be on? Or is that the peer pressure? He's awesome, man. If we could just get him playing more. Yeah, it might be awesome for the coaches to win games, but is it really often for, uh, awesome for your son or your daughter? What's the counterpunch? Consistently walking in obedience to Jesus. When distraction arises, go back and obey the last thing the Lord showed you to do. That's the way to get out of distraction. Okay, Jesus, I'm way over here. The tornadoes dropped me. The swirls dropped me here. I know I'm supposed to be over there. Repent and say, Jesus, what? okay, what's the last thing you asked me to do? Okay, you asked me to get ready to go on our missions trip. I'm being totally distracted. Lord, I repent for that. I'm going to walk over here to where I was, and I'm going to realign. So obeying Jesus. So for some of you today, part of before you go to bed tonight, you just need to have a few minutes you need to be able to say, Jesus, I repent. I, I realize I've been taken way off my game here. And you need to ask the Lord, where, what is the last thing he's asked me to do? And get aligned to that. And it's amazing the spiritual chiropractic adjustment that happens when we do that. Okay? Let's go to the third one. So the first one is distract. And the third one is discourage. One of his, one of his game plans is to discourage. Uh, so that word literally means to remove courage. Like, if I have courage to step in, as God asked me, and all of a sudden the courage is gone. Could be courage related to our finances and our family. Courage of, you know, my child hasn't been walking with God for years, and don't get, don't have courage take to stand in Jesus' name. See? Courage. Accusation, failure, hopelessness. You know, he comes to steal, kill, destroy. He aims to remove courage to obey Jesus. If he can undermine your courage to obey what Jesus has asked you to do, he, he's won on that battle. He's not won the war, but on that battle. Elijah, just because of time this morning, I want to be sensitive to your time. The story here in 1 Kings, you know, is, is here Elijah calls down, you know, fire from on high and, and destroys, you know, the, the Baals, the gods. And, you know, it's this amazing moment in the Bible. And then like the next kind of little piece of his life here, he's in a cave, basically saying, God, just take me out. And it's a lesson to learn. After a spiritual victory, there's vulnerabilities. And it's something we need to be aware of. There, there's a vulnerable place after a spiritual victory that you need to let God, you know, tend you, okay? But one of the things that we can, we can do is, is the enemy will do everything he can to discourage. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you most discouraged about today? I just want you to think about that. Because some of you are really discouraged. The, the courage has been removed. We're never going to get on top of this financially. You know, my child, my, my parent, my... And what is it that's ripping courage from your life? And you need to be able to identify that thing when that's there and just say, okay, I'm not going to go there. And here's how we counter it. First of all, we see the big picture. Do you know this big picture story in 2 Kings? 
is when you know the servant boy walks out the door to the pro- with the prophet. And he says, "Hey, man, we're we're surrounded." It's like the enemy is all over the place. We're surrounded. Oh my gosh! He just went out to you know milk the cow or something, and he comes back. My gosh, we're surrounded. And the prophet looks at him and goes, you know, basically says, "Lord, would you open his eyes so he can see?" And he goes back out the door and looks, and it says tens of thousands of chariots of fire, because God let him see. Oh my gosh, you guys are going to get your butts whooped right here, right now. All right, and he let him see. And one of the things that you and I have to do when there's discouragement is this. You have to be able to step back and say, Jesus, let me see the big picture. Let me, let me see the big picture again here and how this moment right now is playing in the big picture. But it's a deliberate choice. It's something I have to make a deliberate choice to step out of the event and say, okay, big picture. Big picture. Who is God in this? What is God's purposes? And by the way, the, here's something I hope is very encouraging to you. The, the Lord never allows the enemy to come at us in a way unless he has a redemptive purpose. So you need to be able to say, God, what are you doing in this? What are you saying in this? He either wants to muscle you up in God or there's a breakthrough that he wants you to help lead in. Okay? A part of the counterpunch is, is worship. Like for me, sometimes when I'm discouraged, I just put my earbuds in. I get in my study and I just put on my, I have, I have you know, play sets on my uh, iPad or on my phone, iTunes, where I can, I can play, I have a worship set, I have an intimacy set, I have a, a celebration, and I have a warring set. And sometimes I just need to put that, it's about an hour's worth of music, and I, it's, it's kind of like my you know, in a Rocky Balboa moment, and fine, and, and it just, but I worship my way, not just going by my feelings, but in my spirit. Just letting God remind me who he is. And then there comes a time I can finally stand and say, okay, now I'm ready to deal with the pushing around bully of discouragement. Sometimes you have to war your way into that. Especially if you're not, if you haven't done it for a long time. You might say, man, I can't get there. Just spend the next week getting your innards in God prepared to be able to war. All right? And of course, prayer as well. So before we go to the next slide, the first one is, Okay, distort, distract, discourage. Okay, remember, I want you to, I'm, I'm making these, mine easy so you can play fast. So they're right here, you can press a button. Distort, distract, discourage. Look at the fourth one. Deceive, deceive. He takes a blend of falsehoods, mixes it with a portion of truth, and he aims it at our vulnerabilities. And he tries to deceive us to believe things that are not true. And it starts with believing things about the character of God, about ourselves about situations that we can't, it's a mountain too big for God to climb. And he begins to deceive us. Remember, this is how Jesus was attacked in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I mean, what a ridiculous commentary that's going on there. I mean, it's just ridiculous. When the enemy says to him, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. It's like, hello. But see, there's there's this deception. And that's how the enemy works. I'm seeing it um, in people that I'm working with who have believed, um, you know, they have bad theology. And again, just the word theology means the study of God. That's all it means. So when you have bad theology, it means your study of God is off. And I see people stuck because their study of God is off. And the enemy has deceived them to believe things. As a young woman I was with last week trying to help her, she's 24 years of age, and she, she said, please tell me that when I do something wrong and sin, she said, I grew up in a home where my family told me that if something bad happened to me, it was a direct result of my sin. 
Not, not a reaping what you sow kind of thing, but like if the air, it's this kind of thing. She literally, as she was flying, just is, is having a panic attack because if the airplane goes down, don't blame us. It's your own, like she said, is that the God I serve? But see, that 24-year-old woman who's a pistol for God in ministry, but she's got this block. And the enemy has deceived her to think that this is the way God is. All right? And again, you'll see that line there. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? This is where, again, self-deception can be so unbelievable. How do you counterpunch that? A commitment to walk in truth, relational accountability, so you have each other's backs. You got to have a commitment to walk in truth, but you got to have people who got your backs. I got three guys, Jim, Dan, and Bruce, that we meet monthly and have for, I don't know, close to a decade now. We check in with each other's lives. There's nothing off limits. How's your finances? How's your sex life? How's your marriage? How's your, are you taking enough vacation time? Like, what do you do? What do you mean you're doing that on your business? We have fun together. We've, you know, we went, some of you have heard me share this story before. We went fishing together and caught a near 300 pound tuna, you know, and we all had to get it. And it took us two hours and 10 minutes to get the thing in the boat. And we all had to take a turn because it had exhausted all of us. But we won. All right. And, <laughs> and it tasted good. All right. So, um, you know, so, so we've, we've played in life together, but, but we stand with each other. It's one of my, I have about three layers of this, my messenger brothers. You know, I know those guys love me, and if something was squirrely in my life, they would point it out. And if I pointed it out to them, they would be there to help me. I have layers of this in my life, because I know, so let me just say it this way, I'm so deceived today that I don't even know where I'm deceived. Even though I'm in the Word, trying to walk it the best I know. But you know why I know that? Because there's things I'm learning this year I didn't know the year before. That means I was deceived in certain areas of my life. So I'm so deceived, I don't even know where I'm deceived, which means I need help. From the truth of the scriptures, from people speaking into my life. So let me ask you a question. Do you have people speaking into your life? Let me be more specific. Guys in this room, do you have people speaking into your life? Or are you a solo person like the devil? The devil has this independent kind of deal. And we can end up being more like him in character when we just, no, I don't, because why? Pride. No, I, thank you, I, I got that. And we got this proudful kind of attitude and nobody can speak into our lives. First of all, if you're married, next to you hearing from God, your wife is the loudest voice of God in your life. <laughs> Wives, it goes the other way too. But usually it's the guys that need to hear that. I had to learn, because I tend to be the visionary in, your, in our family, honey, I think this is what the Lord's saying. And Cheryl will look at me sometimes, and she'll go, I don't know. And everything in me wants to cut in. I wouldn't say this. I'm just being dramatic. Come on, woman, get on the white horse and let's go! <laughs> Try that. See how that works. <laughs> Trust me. That's so good. But here's what I've learned. And again, I had to walk in humility, embrace humility, because she is a, a person that's called one with me. The Lord uses her voice in my life. And so when I'm saying, honey, I think this is, and she's looking at me kind of like, I don't know. That's a sign to me that I might not be wrong, but it needs to be put on the back burner. And so here's what I've learned over the years. In our relationship, I'm not saying in yours, but in ours, I tend to have the vision, usually the right thing to do, but the Lord uses my wife as the governor of timing. 
She may come back to me nine months later. She remember when you were talking about, yeah, I do. Trust me, I do. All right. She'll say to me, there's something to that. Really? You think so? She said, yeah, I think there's something. And, and that's usually when the Lord says, now's the time. Because I have a propensity as a visionary to say, let's do it now. And I know none of you are like that. So I just imagine with me. But it's something we need to learn. Your wife is the loudest voice of God in your life. And guys, you are a wise, fear of the Lord kind of dude if you're willing to submit to that. Man of humility that God can use. So for some of you, you might have a little husband-wife conversation tonight, all right? So let's, <laughs> let's review. So the first one is distort, distract, discourage, deceive. And then the fifth one is this, divide. Divide. The, the enemy goes after separating relationships. Imagine how, I mean, we all know this, how the enemy is used like flipping skin color. Like, what is that? Do you understand God is into diversity? Like he made it. So there's old Ivan back there. He's got a little more permanent tan than I do. So why is it that the world, and again, we see who's behind this, the enemy, tries to divide us. The, the culture that I've been in the last 25 years in the Nashville, Tennessee area, you know, there's still some southern kind of junk there in this area. And, and, if, and if that's you, if, if there's this, these little hints in us, because they're just there, because the world that we've lived in, our own selfishness of our hearts, that if someone's got a different skin color, who just cut you off of that, oh, see, it was, I knew who, what is that? Like, what is that? Yeah. I mean, we, we have to realize God made red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. As John Dawson, the president of YWAM says, which I love, he said, do you understand people, you know, in a series, do you understand people? If God didn't make Mexicans, you and I would not know guacamole. <laughs> you can pick on issues like food, Indian food, Thai food, Chinese. I mean, you guys... Right? When it's food, it's fine. When it's people, not so much. And we got to get beyond this. And so I, I want to challenge you, like, where, where do you draw a line in relationships? Is, is it gender? Is it, you know, what, what is it? Is it age? Like, like some of you young folks, I just want to encourage you, don't put people who are older than you out to pasture. It's, it's a problem right now. See, what God wants is young people to be able to glean as much as they can from older people because older people, desire, like I can literally say to you, any one of you that are younger than me, I so dream and desire that when you hit 56 that I could invest so much in your life that you would easily pass me by when you're 40. That, that's how older people think, but you've got to give them a chance to speak into your life. They have, they have wisdom. They have seasoning. Why would you not want that? But see, the world, and I live in the city that accentuates this, Music City, USA. Do you know how many people, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, people who are living under the bridges in Nashville who are songwriters of hit songs. But then when they were done writing that song and they couldn't come up with more, the music industry just spit them out. And literally today, some of them are living on the streets 
People say, see that guy right there? You mean the guy that hasn't shaved in weeks and smells? And Yeah, he wrote such a... you got to be kidding me. Because we just take people, use them, and spit them out. And so we've got a bunch of young people becoming stars at 12 and 13, and so we think that's the norm. That's not the norm. That is the very, 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 very rare exception. But now we make it the norm, and so when we're 21 and we don't have wealth and are the president of the company, we think, what's wrong in life? That's not God's ways. And we've got to let God shape us. All right? We can divide in relationships because I need that position. You're out of here. Do you know how many people, because people have climbed the ladder, have gotten kicked off on the way down, and relationships are now hard to restore? Here's another thing of division is operating independently. One of the things I love about what's happening here in Akron is that the pastors have learned to tend their own gardens that God's given, their own vineyards, but they've also opened those vineyards up so there's no borders anymore and they draw on each other. You saw on, on the slides up here earlier an advertisement for something that's happening over at Akron First. You're seeing different... Why? Because, because God's break, broken that down here. That's an incredible thing. Just know this is not normal in the body of Christ. So it's an awesome thing. It should be normal. Satan cannot defeat a united church. See, that's why he knows. So, so he knows if I can divide, divide. Because the thing is, you guys, when you stand against Islam, look, can I just advise you, don't do that on your own in your living room. Just, just don't do that. You don't take on cities and strongholds by yourself. The only way they're broken down is a united body of Christ saying together in the name of Jesus, then it comes down. So that's why the enemy, strategic, strategic thinking, that's why he so goes about trying to divide the body of Christ. Like, do you understand when, let's say you had a church across the street. There isn't one there, is there, Joe? Okay, so, okay, so let's say there's a church across the street. And as you guys are coming here to River of Life on Wednesday nights or Sundays, or as you come, you're noticing every night, even like you had to drop something off here at the office. Nobody was here, but you slipped it through the door. What is the deal? There's a thousand cars over there every night of the week. And revival's breaking out. How are you responding inside to that? Like, well, they might be having revival, but they don't believe like we do. Or do you realize, touchdown. Because can I just tell you, when you're watching football games today, conference championships, who's going to the Super Bowl, it doesn't matter who scores the touchdown. If it's the running back, if it's the quarterback throwing a pass, a wide receiver, a tight end, or the fattest, largest lineman just happens to fall on it. It doesn't matter. Six points on the scoreboard. And we have got to be a people that when God moves in the body of Christ, you're going, yes, because it's your team that just scored. We've got to understand that. We've got to let God change our thinking. Otherwise, we're competing against ourselves in the body of Christ. Where is that in the Bible? Penalty flag. So what's the counterpunch? Ephesians 4 tells us, maintain unity in the bond of peace. So I want to ask you a question. Are you somebody that maintains unity or are you the, always the one that provokes everything? Do you maintain unity? Because Jesus and Paul said, guard this thing. Guard unity. Does it mean you don't deal with issues? No, of course you deal with the issues. But you do it in a spirit of unity. And he also tells us that we're agents. If you ever wanted to be a secret agent, you are one for God. You're an agent of reconciliation. Okay, review these five with me. Restore, distract, discourage, deceive, and 
know what? I didn't know you put them up there. You guys are just reading them. I thought, wow, you're getting it. <laughs> That's it. All right? So what I want you to do is, is you guys, I want to just encourage you, like, stick these somewhere, you know, just, just so you can get them. Write them in Ephesians 6 in your Bible. Somewhere. But so you can begin to realize these things, because I promise you, you can get free. When you recognize, and then you can respond to it in a godly way. Okay, we got another slide there, Greg. It says we're to resist fiercely. Give no opportunity to the devil. Just don't give him an opportunity, all right? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I think there's one last one, yeah. I love this, Revelation 12. It says they overcame, they have conquered him, overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, which is this is who God is to me. This is what he's done for me. And they love not their lives even unto death. I just want to, I hope this is equipping you with something that literally today, so if you're having a family day, friends coming in watching a ball game or whatever, and all of a sudden this little thing goes off, you're going to go, and you're going to see the fifth one over here, divide. This is the enemy. And so what do you do? You counterpunch that and you maintain unity. Dude, I want you to know I love you and how much I appreciate you. One of the keys, and this is the last thing I say, is this, ministering in the opposite spirit. It's a principle that I learned as a young YWAMer, about 20 years of age, 21 years of age, ministering in the opposite spirit. It's a key strategy in warfare. So when there's pride, what's the opposite? Humility. So when you're dealing with someone who's very arrogant and pride, just deal with them in humility. Man, I just want to tell you, I sure appreciate you and who you are. It causes the pride to dwindle. No, you're going to build, you're going to, mm -mm. it's a spiritual dynamic going on right there. All right? Look for the opposite and minister in it. And it allows Jesus to come in and break that thing. Would you just stand with me? I just want to pray with you, and then I'll pass it over to, to Joe. Make sense? Jesus, thank you so much that you have not left us captive. You don't desire for us to be dragged under the bus for weeks and months and years of our life. You desire for us to walk as humble, filled by the living God, servants, that know how to recognize and respond, not only on our behalf, Lord, you know we just got to get this right in our own lives. We got enough issues in our own lives, but you want us to do this for others as well, that we can recognize things and stand with them and guide people into a place of freedom. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it uh, is not only wonderful, but it actually works. And I would ask, Lord, that you would take these things and you'd sow them into our soul, that, Lord, we begin to create a habit of being able to see and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dave. Let's keep standing. I just want to, uh, we're going to close in a moment, but three years ago, Dave, I don't think knows this, but the Lord gave us a picture of a knight. How many of you remember that? With this beautiful armor, I mean, it was just gleaming armor. He had an amazing sword. He had a shield. Everything that maybe a medieval knight would have and I didn't see, I was the one that saw the picture, but there were a couple of other people in the church that got a similar image. I couldn't see what was fighting against this knight, but he was taking blow after blow after blow, just getting hammered. And as I saw this picture, I thought to myself, why isn't he fighting back? He's got this amazing sword. Why isn't he raising his shield? He's letting this thing just hammer on his helmet. And the knight was just standing there with all this armor. So when you shared that today, I thought, this, this is a picture. The Lord is speaking to us. 
So here, here's the thing. You can call your friends and say, I'm under spiritual warfare. You need to, you know, we need to, we need to be the ones that stand up and do that. I remember the night my daughter said, Dad, I always ask you to pray for me, but tonight I felt like the Lord said, get on your knees. And she said, I prayed for two hours and I had a breakthrough. It was an amazing thing. All of us need to have that experience where we break through. We need to fight for our marriage. We need to fight for our families. We need to fight for our children. We need to fight for people that don't know uh, the Lord in our life. We just think that things are going to happen spiritually. So, Father, we thank you for Dave's word for us. I believe it's a timely word for us. Those five Ds, Lord, you tell us to be aware. You tell us, Lord, to, and how many times it's been maybe hours or days before I said, hey, this is what's going on. Lord, help us to learn to play fast. Help us, Lord, to be sober and aware vigilant, be, be aware of what's going on around us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, not just for ourselves, but for the, the, the places we work, because sometimes the enemy will work, uh, come against a whole office, a whole company, a family, an extended family, uh, our children, a school. I'm just thinking all these different ways. And you've set us there as watchmen, men and women to stand there at the gate and protect so, Lord, help us to bring these five Ds into our life, into our thinking, and make it a part of who we are and how we respond. In, in, increase our spiritual radar that we would see these things faster than we've ever seen them and respond quicker. And, Lord, I just pray this morning for anybody that has been in that place of uh, just a lot of warfare lately. Lord, that you would give them the courage to stand Lord, I'm reminded, 2005, we were in, a, uh, in India in a hotel getting ready to go out and do ministry in, in Bidar in central India, and a group of Muslim men blocked uh, the whole door of the hotel, and they blocked the road in front of us. And I looked at the Indian pastor that I was with, and he said, I feel like the Lord is saying, smile, continue to pray, and let's just keep walking. As we walked, everything parted in front of us. These guys looked puzzled. They didn't, it, I don't know whether angels were gently moving them out of the way or they were amazed at our courage. But Lord, give us that kind of courage, not to run away from the battle, but to move forward, to move through and to see your victory. It's not us, it's you going before us as we obey you. I believe that picture is for several people here, just to encourage them. You're not to run away, move toward the enemy and challenge him. So, Lord, give us strength as we go forth today. Lead us by your spirit, we pray. Let your anointing rest on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go in the blessing of the Lord.